we'll take your Bibles and turn to Revelation chapter 1. Revelation chapter 1. We continue our series. Uh, for those who are here for the first time, the series of titled The Unveiling. It's a series on a, um, the book of the Revelation. A message today entitled, Here with Your Heart. If you found Revelation chapter 1, let's get the scripture in front of us. If you will stand to honor the reading of God's holy word. If you can and will, please. Begin in verse 4. John, to the seven churches in Asia, grace and peace to you from the one who is, who was, and who is to come, and from the seven spirits before his throne, and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, and rulers of the kings of the earth, to him who loves us and has set us free from our sin by his blood and made us a kingdom, priest to God, to his God and Father, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Look, he is coming with clouds, and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him. And all the tribes of the earth will mourn over him, so it is to be. Amen. I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, the one who is who was and who is to come, the Almighty. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, my prayer today is that you remove, will remove from our minds any distractions that will stand in the way of us hearing from you and hearing with our heart. I pray today that you'll find us listening listening with understanding, listening with discernment, listening to embrace. And I pray that your Holy Spirit will come and take control of us so that you will just lance our hearts open and pour into it your word, that when we leave, we'll be changed. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. You may be seated. In their book... Seven Desires, Mark and Debbie Lasser write about seven basic needs that God hardwired into every human heart. Let's put them on the screen so you can see them. To be included, to be chosen, to be touched, to be safe, to be blessed, to be affirmed, To be understood and heard. The only way you'll ever be understood is to be heard. The only way you'll ever understand is to hear. You see, the truth is, is is that hearing, hearing, listening, is something God gave us the capacity to do. He gave us the capacity to, to listen, to hear, 
to comprehend, to embrace, to understand, as well as to be understood. Now, uh, Debbie and I were talking earlier today with Brother Mark, is that back when I was in music, we used to sing the prayer of St. Francis of Assisi. Lord, make me an instrument of thy peace. But the last part said, O divine master, grant that I may not so much seek to be consoled as to consoled and are understood but understand. You see, to understand things, we must hear We must hear with understanding. We must hear with our hearts. The scripture gives us all kind of of, uh, um, all kind of examples. You know, I've told us before, and you know this, whether Brother Jerry told you or not, is that there are several levels of hearing. You can hear superficially, like the husband listening to his wife over the paper and just grunting at her, hmm, hmm, hmm. You can hear and listen for the facts. You can listen with understanding. And then, I don't use this often. I have to confess, my wife's sitting on the second to the back row, so she would uh, say amen. Here's what I'm going to tell you. If you want to win the wife, your heart of your wife, there are three little words you can say. Tell me more. Tell me more. And then Listen. The Bible tells us about this thing of listening and and people understanding. I'll just give you one example. In Acts 28, Paul's life is coming to an end. He's preached the gospel for these years. He's, He's tried to invite people to Christ Jesus. And now in Acts 28, he is literally under house arrest and his days are coming to an end. He knows he's about to die. In in verse 17, he invites all the Jewish leaders to the house where he's staying because he wants one more shot at these guys. And you look down in verse 23, it'll be on the screen, and I'll read it for us. Verse 23, after arranging a day with him, that's the Jewish leaders, many came to him at his lodging. From dusk till dawn, he expounded and testified about the kingdom of God. He tried to persuade them about Jesus from both the law of Moses and the prophets. Some were persuaded, but others did not believe. Disagreeing among themselves, they began to leave after Paul made one statement. Powerful statement. The Holy Spirit was right in saying to your ancestors through the prophet Isaiah when he said, so now Paul is quoting Isaiah, go to these people and say, you will always be listening, but never understanding. And you will always be looking, but never perceiving. For the heart of these people have grown calloused. Their ears are hard of hearing, and they have shut their eyes. Otherwise, they may see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their heart and turn, and I would heal them. Therefore, let it be known to you that this salvation of God has been sent to the Gentiles. They will listen. 
The truth is Paul wanted them back one more time to get them to hear. There's a direct correlation. Did you read that? Did you see that in the text? There's a direct correlation between seeing and hearing. I want to say that again. There's a direct correlation between seeing and hearing. Why does the church spend money and put the messages on the screen? It is because we remember a little bit of what we hear, but we remember a lot more of what we see and hear. It kind of burns into our psyche. We will never understand anything if we refuse to hear. When you read this, you know what it reminds me of? Now, I know my kids, not my kids, we kids and my family, Pud, when we were kids, we're the only ones that did this. But have you ever seen anybody stick their fingers in their ears and close their eyes and try to shut out the world? Hello? And that's exactly what it's talking about. You see with your, you, you may not see with your eyes, you may not hear with your ears. It's true in every relationship we have, specifically in our relationship with God. Today I am imploring us to hear with our hearts. Let's hear, let's see, let's understand, let's believe, because that is an ascension, essential for a follower of Christ. Jesus thought it was an essential. Because in chapters 2 and 3 of Revelation, we'll get there probably about a month. In chapters 2 and 3, he's writing letters to seven churches. Seven churches. Do you remember who they are? They're Ephesus, they're Smyrna, they're uh, Pergamum, and Thyatira, and Sardis, and Philadelphia, and Laodicea. He writes, seven, he writes to seven churches. And he gives them all the final analysis of what he wants them to do. And I'm going to put it on the screen for you so it will burn into you. Let anyone who has ears to hear listen to what the Spirit says to the churches. What the Spirit said to the churches in Revelation back in the first century, he is saying to churches today, What the Spirit is saying to individuals back there, He's saying to you and me today. So the question for today is, do I have ears to hear what the Spirit is saying? Do you have ears to hear what the Spirit is saying? You know what I discovered? We listen to people we love. Hello? We listen to people we love. We listen to people we're engaged with. We we listen. Your wife, your husband, your kids, your grandparents, your extended family. This morning I implore you one more time to listen to your heart because there's three messages that I've lifted out of this that I want to share with you today. And I want us to get our hands around three messages. The first message is the message, what I'll call, from the Godhead. Now we don't use the term Godhead much, but we find it right here. So let's just kind of... Break the scripture down a little bit. John to the seven churches. Now here's the first message. Here's the first message. It's a timely greeting. Grace and peace to you. Don't y'all like that? Grace and peace to you. Now that's a great little, that's a great greeting. It's a common greeting at that time. It's still a good greeting today. And here's why. Have I lost you already? Because when you offer somebody grace, you offer them the best that God has to offer. 
Now, for those that's not been here in a while, let me let me just our our definition, our working definition of mercy and grace. Mercy is God not giving us what we deserve. Let's make it personal. Mercy is God not giving you what you deserve. Grace, on the other hand, is God giving us what we don't deserve. In other words, God giving you what you don't deserve. When you offer grace to somebody, you offer the best that God has. You know why? Because that's why Jesus came, is to give us grace. For by grace you have been saved through faith. The grace. And when you offer somebody grace, it says grace and peace. It's a very natural step that when you get the grace of God, the peace of God follows. You will never find the peace of God until you've, until you've embraced the grace of God. Because when Jesus gives you the, his grace, peace comes. And it's not peace like the world gives. It's the peace that the world gives is absence of war. The peace that Jesus gives is a peace that passes all understanding. It is a settledness in your spirit that God is in control. God loves you. God, is contr- God has plans for you. That peace is not dependent on human circumstances, but divine choice to give you peace, give you grace, give you peace. So he begins with that timely greeting, grace, peace. And then he unpacks the triune God. That's the Godhead. We don't use that often, again, but but the word tri means three. We don't serve three gods. We have one God that has manifestations in three uh, different ways. God the Father, God the Spirit, God the Son. If you look at it throughout history, God the Father was center stage in the Old Testament. In the Gospels, God the Son was center stage. And after Acts chapter 2, God the Spirit has been center stage. Brother Jerry, we call that the Trinity. Brother Jerry, can you try explain this triune God or can you explain this, tri- this Trinity to me? No! Hello? No. That one preacher said, if you try to explain the Trinity, you can lose your mind. If you explain it away, you can lose your soul. Because it's a biblical truth. Truth is, is that I like the fact that I cannot explain the Trinity. Can I just tell you why? It's because, personally, I would never give my life, uproot my family, sell out a career for a God that I could explain. Choose today, Joshua said, who you will serve. As for me and my house, we'll serve the Lord. The triune God. But let's unpack that just a little bit. He does right here. You can see, it's not going to be on the screen, but you see God the Father when he says, from the one who, who is, who was, and who is to come. It says that twice. It says it in verse 4, and it says again in verse 8. It's like God wants to remind us who he is. And then he says, I am the Alpha and the Omega. Now, everybody knows what the Alpha and Omega is. Alpha is the first letter in the alphabet of the Greek language. The omega is the last letter in the alphabet. So watch this. God is the alpha. Now here, let me just give you a word of encouragement. This will be worth your price of admission today. 
When Satan gets on you and he tries to remind you of your past and he's going back to those things you don't want, you don't want to ever think of again, he's taking you back there. He can never go beyond the Alpha. The Alpha's always there uh, guarding you. When he tries to uh, distract you for the future, he can never get beyond the Omega because the Omega's there. The Alpha and Omega has us boxed in. Amen. Isn't that great? The truth is, is that Jehovah means the eternal one. That means he was the first king on the scene and one day will be the last king standing. And that's what Revelation tells us about God the Father, the eternal one. Then it talks about God the Spirit when it, when it speaks of seven spirits before the throne. For the novice reader or the one who just reads uh, um, superficially, you read seven spirits, you go, does that mean there are seven spirits of God? And the answer is no. The Bible's clear. Jesus is clear. Jesus said after he left, he would send us the comforter. Paul tells us that we're baptized into one body and one spirit and have all been made to drink of one spirit. But still notice the number seven. Now, most of you are Bible theologians, so you'll know this. But the number seven is a number of perfection. And this is so important to us. Two weeks from today, the title of the message is simply Numbers. Because numbers in the Bible have a great meaning. And we're going we're gonna to share that together so that we can identify that. Seven is the number of Perfection. It's a number of fullness. It's a number of completeness, if you will. And when and when you see that seven here, he's talking about the complete, the the his attributes, his characteristics of the spirit of God. You can go back and look at Isaiah 11 if you like. The Father and the Spirit are one. The Father, Son, and Spirit are one. And this, as he visions this, the seven spirits. You'll see it further down in chapter one. But I will just say this to you. It means that, that this spirit is everything we need. It's full. He's full. He's complete. The third part of the triune God, God the Father, God the Spirit, God the Son, is down in verse 5, Jesus Christ, and he's called the faithful witness. He came to us so that we could get to him. I want to say that again because we think we can get to God. He came to us. He left heaven. He came through the womb of a virgin girl. He lived an earthly life. And somewhere around age 30, he began his ministry. He ministered for 30 years. He died the death of a sinner, even though he was perfect. He was put in the ground for three days to, to cover our sins. He was raised to walk in newness of life, so like uh, Sidney did today, so that we could do the same. He did all of that for you. He did all that for me. This, he is the faithful witness. He's the one who get, shed his blood. He's the one who made a way. He's the one. He is it. He's called the firstborn from the dead, if you will. The dead? Remember when Adam and Eve ate the fruit, they died. They were not scheduled for death. They died. They died spiritually that day. And immediately their body began to die. Jesus 
came to revive us. Not really to revive us. He came to resurrect us. Give us new life. If He's not the Lord of all, He's not Lord at all. If He is resident in your life, then He's president of your life. The triune God, Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Other thing that I'll tell you, the message from the, from the Godhead was we get to kind of see His true glory. It's like John is, is seeing, beginning to see these things and beginning to write these things under the inspiration. And he just can't help himself when he says, when he says, the faithful one, the firstborn of the dead, the ruler of the kings of the earth, the him who loves us, set us free, and all this, he goes to him, be glory and dominion forever and ever. He's there by himself on the Isle of Patmos singing the doxology. Are you ever by yourself and you just get overwhelmed by the goodness of God? Is the only time that you think God is good all the time and all the time God is good is when Brother Jerry says it from the pulpit? Or does it kind of resonate with you each and every day? The truth is is that John got it because he saw Jesus in his humanity. He saw Jesus in his divinity and he became overwhelmed by it. And his... Worship, if you'll, if you'll use that expression, was transformed. It was animated because he was seeing Jesus face to face. The message from the Godhead starts with grace and peace and reminds us who he is and then the glory that he has. Message from the Godhead. Two other messages. Message... For the God-like. There's a message here for the God. Who are the God-like? Who is the God-like? Simply put, it is those who have been born again, redeemed, changed from the inside out. I don't be confusing here, so let me say that again. The godlike are those who have been born again. Unless you're born again, you'll never see the kingdom. Those who have been redeemed, that means taken from nothing to something. Those who have been changed from the inside out. There's a sad truth today, particularly in America. Many who profess to know Christ and even follow Christ have not been changed by Christ. Paul writes, if anybody's in Christ, he's a new creation. Old things are past. All things are new. The God-like, he reminds us of a couple things here. If you're looking about the middle of verse 5, he reminds us of three things. Number one, you are loved. It says, to him who loves us. Never let anybody tell you that you are not loved. Never get so far down in the dumps because you don't believe anybody loves you. Our Lord loves you not because of who you are, 
but in spite of what you've done. His love pours out. The Bible's replete telling us about this. We are loved by God. The love of God pours out on us. We are, God even proved His love in this way, that while we were unlovely to Him, He sent Jesus to die for us. God loves us. He loves, but I want to say this to you and to me. God loves us, but he loves us too much to leave us like we are. There's a misconception of love in America today that if you just love somebody, just let them do, you live and let live. That's not love. If you really loved your kids, you didn't just let them do everything they wanted to do. There were times you had to say, I don't think so. That's not good for you. You can't do that. You see, God loves us so much that he made a way for us. He made a way for us in Jesus, which brings us to the next thing he tells us here. Not only are we loved, we're also, we have been loosed. <laughs> loosed! Well, where did you get that, Brother Jerry? Well, right there in that same verse, the next phrase, to him who loved us, and watch this, has set us free. Free! Now, some of the teenagers think they'll be free when they get loose of mom and dad. I, I love you girls and guys here on the first row, but you have no idea. You better enjoy it while you got it. Because what we used to think was freedom can very quickly become bondage. But Christ has set us free. Free from our sin. Free from our past. Free from, free from the penalty of sin. Free from the power of sin. And one day, when we trust Jesus, free from the presence of sin. Jesus paid the price for our sin by shedding his blood. The Bible tells us without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin. This free, this free in the Bible, I love this when I found this out. The free means to scrub clean. To scrub clean. Boy, do I remember when my mom used to put me in the tub as I was a, I was a preschooler, and I remember it. They're in Purvis, put me in the tub, and she had scrubbed me. Yeah, you've got dirt behind your ears. What does it matter? Mom, what is the dirt behind the ears? What is that thing anyway? And she'd scrub me and put. Sometimes she'd scrub me till it hurt. But here's what I want to tell you. She's going to get away all the dirt from my skin. Jesus died to get away all the sin from your soul. And I'm just going to tell you this. Your sin is no match for his blood. That dirt was no match for my mom, and your sin is no match for his blood. Not only are you loved, brothers and sisters, not only have you been lifted, not only have you been loose, set free, but you've also been lifted. Look at what it continues to say. Not only did he set us free from our sins by his blood, but he made us into something. He made us a kingdom, a priest, a priest unto God. 
You see, you could go to 1 Peter chapter 2 and you can read how you're a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a people for God. If you've been saved, if Jesus has come into your life, cleansed your sin, washed you, and set you free, the truth is, is that you have been lifted above what you can even imagine. My son said this many years ago. He said, Daddy, if we get the average person to understand how much God loved them, it would revolutionize their life. In this room, there are parents who would literally give their lives for their children. They would give their lives for their parents. And the truth is, is that it is that kind of love that God has for you. Because he sent Jesus literally to wash you in the cleansing blood. To free you from the sin. To free you from a place called hell. Brother Jerry, is the only reason you trust Jesus to get out of hell? No, that's just the benefit. Jesus makes you right with the Father. When, when Adam and Eve sinned in the garden, they broke that relationship. And Jesus came to restore that relationship for you and me. Going to heaven, missing hell, is just a benefit. As he starts this book of the Revelation, he tried to give us a message because this book is an encouragement You've been loved. You are loved. You've been loosed. You are loosed. You're free. And you've been lifted to heights that you cannot even imagine. Part of God's family. Message for the godlike. But there is one more message. Message from the Godhead. Message for the godlike. And the last one is the message. To the godless. Even as I prepared this message, and this kind of jumped out at me, and I wrote it down, the term frightened me. I know it's biblical. I know it's accurate. My mind reflected to Psalm 1, where it talks about the ungodly. Blessed is the man that walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, standeth in the way of the sinner, sit in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and his law does he meditate day and night. He should be like a tree planted by the rivers of water. This is the godlike. And, what, and he brings forth fruit in his season. Whatever he does shall prosper. And literally the Greek says, not so the ungodly. Some translations say the wicked. The godless are those people without God in their life. I want to be clear here. Every person in this room, every person in this world is one of God's creation. But not every person is God's child. The only way you get to be God's child 
is you're born into his family, except you're born again. But the best part of that is, is that then you're adopted into his family. A relationship with God begins by coming to him on his terms, not on yours. One of the first messages I preached here is Matthew 7. There are many people, sadly today, who think they're okay, who think they'll get into heaven. And Matthew 7 clearly teaches us that there are many who believe that they will make heaven, but they will not. And that was a pretty impressive crowd in Matthew 7. Didn't we prophesy in your name? Didn't we cast out demons in your name? Didn't we do miracles in your name? And Jesus says, depart from me, you workers of iniquity. I never knew you. When I'm looking at this Godless with a hurting heart, three truths come to me as I, as I pass them down. First thing I would tell you, the message of the Godless is there is a day of awareness coming. A day of awareness. He says, look, this is verse 7. He is coming with the clouds. Now, so everybody's clear, this is not the rapture. This is the revelation. It's not the rapture of the church. It's the revelation of Christ. This is when he returns in, on, with, or riding the clouds. This is when every eye will see him. This is when every person will be aware of who he is, who they are, and what their position is. Those who have played the games at the foot of the cross will be aware that those games simply don't cut it. There'll be a new awareness. There'll be a new awareness about him and us. All the times that, the, that you've sat without emotion, expressionless, or with agitation while some pastor urged you to come to Christ will now take center stage in your mind as you become aware of what you've missed. We make preparation today for that day. When you see Jesus in the clouds, it's too late. Too late to experience God's love. Too late to experience God's grace. Too late to enjoy a relationship with Him. Too late to go to heaven. If you don't recognize who He is today, make no mistake, one day you will be well aware. There's also a day of accountability. A day of accountability. The text tells us again, look, he is coming with the clouds and every eye will see him. Watch this. Even those who pierced him. Certainly it's talking about those folks in Jerusalem who yelled crucify him, but it's not only talking about those folks in Jerusalem who were yelling crucify him. This means every person who has pierced him by their sin and by their rejection 
of Him. Every time you hear Jesus is the Messiah, He died in your place. He will forgive your sin. He will bring you into a right relationship with God the Father. He will secure you a home in heaven. Every time you hear all of that and you ignore it, you pierce the Savior once again. And the result is undeniably you will be held accountable. Our Lord will allow no blame games, no passing the buck, no free passes, no excuse. There are probably many, even in this room, that don't believe that'll happen. You need to go read Revelation 20. Whoever's name was not written in the Lamb's Book of Life will be cast in the lake of fire. This is the second death. There'll be one more day. A day of awareness, a day of accountability, and a day of anguish. When Jesus comes to earth again, it will be his revelation. You should remember, we're studying the book of the Revelation. The Revelation literally means uncovering, unveiling, disclosure. Those who remain on earth are those who have rejected his offer of salvation. That's why verse 7 says, And all the tribes of the earth will mourn over him. This is a sad day. It's a sad event. After I spoke last week, somebody asked me, uh, on Wednesday night, most of the time I open with a song, someone asked me to do, I wish we'd all been ready. Have you ever thought about it? That I wish we'd all been ready was pulled out of the Matthew passage where it talks about two two women grinding at the mill, one will be taken, one left. Two men will be working together, one taken and one left. Have you ever really thought about that? Talking about anguish? You and your sister are doing something together. One of you is gone. You and your mate, one of you is gone. Can you imagine the anguish of that day? Brothers and sisters, today, I implore you, hear with your heart. Don't hear with the heart that the world gave you. Hear with the heart that the Spirit gives you. Don't hear with your selfish heart, self-centered heart, sinful heart. Hear with your spiritual heart and respond to whatever call God puts on your life today. Let's pray together.